we're beginning a series called Holy Expressions. Uh, and we do this periodically. We would just take a topic and want to kind of think through it. Uh, this one actually came as a result of our worship ministry saying, would, would you lead us in teaching about worship? And uh, I, I wanted to do that. Yes, I want to do that. But I want to start not with just the congregational worship, which most people think this is what worship is. We did engage in worship in the last few moments. And my heart is still engaged in worship as I'm going to be holding his word and reading his word and talking about it and receiving it and, and the treasure that it is. All that's worship. But I wanted to dial into the essence of worship what does the Bible say worship is? Because it gets convoluted when people start to communicate about worship is and uh, how they do that. It, it gets kind of, I just don't mind saying, it's tweaked out in a lot of different ways and it's not supposed to be that way. So I wanted to go back into the scripture and just look at the essence of worship. What does God tell us about worship? And he does it throughout the scripture from the Old to the New Testament and now even by the the movement of his church. And so we want to dial into Chronicles chapter 16. You say, well, Chronicles? I don't know where Chronicles is. Go, well, go to the beginning of the Bible and just start turning. And you'll find uh, First and Second Kings, and then you'll find First and Second Chronicles. And uh, when you're there, go to the 16th chapter in your Bible, and let's read God's Word together. I'm in Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23. Listen to this, because this is a powerful word so powerful that the psalmist picked up on these words almost verbatim. Uh, so this is a big deal. God wants us to hear this. So he puts it in his Bible in a, two or three different locations. So here's what he says. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Now anywhere you see an underline on the screens or anytime you hear my inflection say so, uh, I want you to say those words with me. Sing to the Lord all the earth tell of his salvation from day to day declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the peoples say it with me for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised oh you sound fantastic he is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the people are worthless idols but the Lord made the heavens splendor and majesty are before him strength and joy are in his place ascribe to the Lord O families of the peoples ascribe to the Lord glory and strength ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name bring an offering and come before him worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Wow, just let that settle for a moment. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nation, the Lord reigns. Wow, Lord we ascribe to you the worth, the heaviness of your glory, the beauty, the truth, the righteousness, the splendor. Let your name be great 
and greatly praised. Amen and amen. So in this series, we're going to first define worship. What is the essence of worship biblically? And then we're going to talk about how we might have a meaningful and consistent time of worship privately. The private worship is so important. Long before we gather together, private worship is the essence of our worship. It is the very root by which God is calling us to when he says, ascribe to the Lord. Before we gather in holy convocation, he wants you to gather in his holy presence individually. So we'll talk about that. And how do we do that in a very consistent way, practical way? And then we'll learn how we can stay attentive to God's glory. And we will look in week number three, we'll look for the opportunities to see God's glory, to say, oh, wow, God is glorious, and just worship him in that moment. And because we are in 2023, we're going to grab our phones, and we're going to take a picture, if it's possible, of that moment of glory, and then we're going to share those together, and then we will see how God is revealing his glory. And I don't know that we'll be able to communicate the worship that took place in that moment. The pictures are never like the moment itself, but it'll just be a memory for us. We, we saw God's glory evidenced, and then we worshiped him. We took a quick pick to remind us and to share with others. That's week number three. And then week number four, we're going to talk about how we worship the Lord congregationally, why that's so important and how we do that. But today I want to spend a little time on the theology of worship, the study of worship. Now, historically, people have had a hard time getting worship right. Worshiping genuinely has been very difficult. In fact, you go all the way back to the original discussion of worship in the Bible. It's in the fourth chapter of Genesis, and you have the offspring of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, who are bringing their worship to the Lord. And Cain brings his worship to the Lord, and the Lord rejects it. Now, obviously, Cain was persistent. He wanted God to accept the worship that he was willing to offer. In fact, he was indignant when God rejected it. That ought to be a warning sign for us that this is early on in the text, that worship is called for by God. It is responded by us, and it could be rejected, even though we are so insistent that he receive it. The Israelites, of course, struggled with worship. They were consistently pursuing false gods and making idols. King Saul himself abandoned the reverence and obedience that God demanded in worship. And in doing so, he displeased God. And in response, God dethrones him from Israel. And then once David was worshiping before the Lord, and remember this, he's dancing around before the Lord with just his ephod. And his wife, Michael, that ought to be a heads up when you have a wife named Michael, right? <laughs> His wife, Michael, uh, had just a, a real rebelliousness about her. She had a, a demeaning spirit, if you will. She had one that was disregarding and critical in her heart, and she questioned David in his pursuit of worship before the Lord in such a state some of the most religious people in Jesus' times, those who were orthodox, who tried to yield their lives totally to expressions of worship and rules and, and uh, religion, Jesus said in the end, uh, no, that's not worship. That's external practices and appearances that you're giving before people. 
That's not a genuine affection for God that you have. And he constantly pointed that out to them. And then in the first century, the early Christians and those throughout history have had a hard time figuring out worship. Paul admonished to the Christian church because they were divisive in their worship. And it included when they were speaking in tongues but not having interpretation. So some would know, some wouldn't know what was going on. There was this showing off of certain spiritual gifts that they elevated above others. And there was just a general confusion in their worship. And Paul had to chronically reset them. This is what God says. He, he lays it out for them as God has instructed. And, and we still have problems in that to this day. So we all need to reflect in Scripture concentrate on it so that we have an accurate understanding of what glorifies God and what actually pleases him because a worship that is not God exalting and God pleasing is no worship at all so we recognize we are not better than others we too in our flesh struggle with worship just like so many in the scriptures and so many throughout the world J.I. Packer says that true worship is not an emotional catharsis or an escape from reality. Listen to this, but a humble and contrite response to the self-revelation of a holy God. In other words, God has revealed himself through Scripture and the revelation that God has given to us that is now made known to us we express our gratitude and our glory unto him and our praise unto him and our response is worship. Anything else is not worship. So let's think about this for a moment. We worship the God of the Bible because he alone is worthy of our worship. God alone has revealed himself in the Bible. He proves worthy of our worship, so we purposefully acknowledge and express his invaluable worth while we live gratefully in holiness and servitude to him. So with gratitude about who God is, we choose to live our life before him in a grateful and holy way. That is the beginnings of worship recognizing who God is and what he has done and given us a new life in his spirit through his son and living that out before him. So we worship Christ the Lord. Now let me give you three main things that I wanted to mention today about worshiping Christ the Lord. We worship Christ the Lord for he alone is creator and sustainer. Uh, this, is, this is a consistent big deal truth. God wants us to know that he is creator. Obviously, he starts the book with it. In the beginning, God, and then he unfolds the creation. Genesis, uh, uh, Romans 1 talks about God has made himself known in the creation, in the general revelation. And he says, Paul does, people are without excuse when they don't know God. They should be able to identify God, there is a God, and be grateful to him just in creation alone. So it's a big deal. So he is to be worshipped because he is creator and sustainer. Back into 1 Chronicles 16, verse 29, the latter part of that. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall not be moved. 
The world is established. Who established the world? The Lord Jesus. There's nothing that is created except by the hands of Christ himself. So he has established the world. Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nation, the Lord reigns. So this fundamental revelation of God is expressed in his creation of all things. The, the universe is proclaiming there is a God who is worthy to be praised. I think it was Friday night. Kay and I were sitting outside with some friends in the evening, and it was a perfect night to stargaze. The skies were wondrously clear. And we just couldn't help but, but discuss the, the wonder of that creation. And that causes you to push towards the wonder of the one who created it all. Scientists are still trying to figure out just how vast this universe is. They send up new and exciting technology to be able to peer further and deeper into the cosmos and they find, man, this thing just keeps on going over and over and over. Yeah, because it was created by an eternal God with an amazing power, omnipotence. And so it causes us to worship him. When the Apostle Paul was traveling in Athens, he was deeply wanting to share the gospel, moved by those people, wanting them to know the gospel of Christ. And so he longed them to know Jesus and to live for his glory. So in the marketplace, he starts talking to Epicureans and Stoic philosophers as they're gathering around. That was a big thing among the Athenians, to just talk all that kind of stuff all the time. And he goes into the Jewish synagogue and he describes from the Old Testament who Jesus Christ is. And he shares his own witness about Christ because he wants those Jews to come to know Christ. And soon they invited him to address the Areopagus, which is the council of the court that all oversaw all the important matters of the city. And he desperately wanted to address the people there in Athens. So he stands before them and he begins to share. Now you, you remember, Paul has walked through and he has seen all the idols and all the false gods that are there among the Athenians. And the scripture says that it was like them to spend most of their time talking and hearing about something new. What else has come out? Who's saying this and who says that? Just talking about all that stuff, seeking and wanting to know. So Paul stands to address the people. He says in Acts 17, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now let's just stop for a minute and recognize you can be very religious and not worship God. You can be very religious and be marching your way to hell. You can be very religious and have no identity with Jesus Christ himself. And he is the only means by which we come to the Father. He is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So religion might even take you in the wrong direction. And among the world, religion probably is taking you in the wrong direction. So he says, I perceive that you are very religious for as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God, listen how he begins this, the God who made the world and everything in it 
being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he has any need, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of uh, all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries and the dwelling place, that they should seek God. Listen, what he's saying. The one who made it all, the one who put mankind together from one man in whom he made, the one who has gathered all the nations and determined their times and periods and boundaries, he did this so that you would seek after him. You have to just look through and say, there has to be a God. That's the general revelation, and Paul is identifying He's saying that they would feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. Now listen to this. Paul, with simple and direct proclamation to the Areopagus, concludes some things about worship that you and I should take home today. Worship the Lord only, he is saying. For he alone is the creator and the sustainer. He made the world and everything that is in it and all mankind and life and breath and everything else. Worship the Lord because he is the creator and the sustainer. Listen, for you and me, worship the Lord because God has given you breath by which to worship today. You say, oh, my life is difficult. I'm in trouble or I have this going on or that going on. Worship the Lord with whatever capacity he's given you to worship him because he is the creator and the sustainer of your being. Worship him. And worship him because he has provided for all your needs. Oh, but I have this one and that one. Forget your wants. Worship God because he has provided for your needs. Worship the Lord for he is sovereign and he is sustaining us in grace. Worship him because he has made himself known through the general revelation of creation and he's made himself specifically known through Jesus Christ and his word, the Bible. Worship him because we live in him and move in him and have our being in him. By the way, he's quoting a Cretan poet right there using his own words to identify why they ought to be seeking after Jesus Christ. Worship him, he's saying, because he is creator. I love when Kay and I sit in the morning at our kitchen table and we're with Bible open, coffee in hand, and the sun is risen and it starts to peer over the trees on the back of our property and the glory of the Lord is on our mind because we have the treasure of his word and we had the renewing of his mercies with the rising of the sun and we look out and we see the beauty that he has created. It's one of my favorite times of the day. And even yesterday as we were out running errands, and we were driving over 759 Bridge over by the, the mall, and I'm just looking over to the Kusa on my left and all the backwaters, and I just had to stop in my heart and thank the Lord and glory in his name. I didn't express it verbally in words, but man, was I worshiping my Lord. 
You're like that too, aren't you? When you come across the moments where you just pause and ponder and reflect on the glory of God that is evident in creation, it ought to cause you to worship him. Worship him because he is creator and he is sustainer. And then worship the Lord for he is redeemer. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. Man, we should do a whole series on 1 Peter. Oh, we've already done that, haven't we? <laughs> Look what he's saying. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's an expression of praise and worship, is it not? Blessed be he. And, and why is he calling us to bless him? For his great mercy. In other words, it's... It's worth, he is worthy of worship because he has been merciful toward us. He has entered into a relationship with us, not because we deserved it or we earned it or we gave him any reason to love us. It's because he was extending his love and mercy to us. So worship him. If you're saved, worship him. Worship him because he is merciful. With great mercy, he has loved us. There's no measure found in us, no, no merit in us that he would declare any of us to be holy and righteous. On the contrary, we are holy and utterly unholy and unrighteous, but God in his unconditional love toward us came to us while we were yet sinners and broken to make a way for us to be holy and right. Like the tender and compassionate shepherd, Jesus came looking for us who were lost sheep and he's unlike other shepherds. This, the Son of God, the great shepherd, laid down his life for us that he might redeem us unto himself, paying the wages of our sin and crediting us with his righteousness. So no wonder, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What glorious truth that is that you are not, are, are not trying to ascend this mountain of holiness. We are not trying to crawl and, and climb our way to some pinnacle where God and his holiness is. How would we ever do that? But instead, he has caused us to be born again. You're not a religious individual who's making your life right. You're not a person who says, okay, I'm going to get my life together in order that God might be pleased and satisfied with me. No, my friends, you come to Jesus asking for his mercy, and he makes you to be born again. Why born again? Because you were so utterly and totally dead in your sin that there was no way for any life to come in you otherwise. It's the same way with me. So he says, Randy, there's nothing that I can do. I can't resuscitate you. I can't do compressions on your heart and revive you. You're utterly dead. I need to remake you. I need you born again from heaven above. Amen. Not just born of the flesh, but born of the spirit. Amen. And so, <laughs> blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has made us born again. Uh oh, do we not have reason to worship him? That he has redeemed us? Do we not? Of course we do. And in every remembrance of his resurrection and our new life, 
we ought to worship him. And then worship the Lord, Christ the Lord, because he is Lord. Worship Christ the Lord, because he is master. He is Lord over all. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus Christ and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the worship, to the glory of God the Father, we acknowledge who Jesus Christ is. He is Lord. He is preeminent. He is sovereign over all. It's Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus, by the way, Yeshua in the Hebrew means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. So we worship Christ the Lord for he is our salvation. Not just that we are saved, but that he is our salvation. He's the object of our worship. The Lord Jesus, the Son of God, came to us to bring God to us and then bring us to God. There was no way it could be reversed, no way for us to go to God. So he came to us. So we should confess and worship and praise the name of Jesus. Worship the name of Jesus because we know that his name is powerful. Worship the name of Jesus because in his name we find forgiveness of our sins. Worship his name because in his name miracles come about and worship in his name to him because he has called us to give our prayers unto the Lord through him. No wonder the Bible instructs us to ascribe worship to Christ the Lord. Why we should worship him. He is our creator, sustainer, redeemer, and Lord. Now, as we think about the essence of worship, we should note, worship is intellectual before it is demonstrative. Let that thought just kind of hang for a minute. Worship is intellectual before it is demonstrative. If you're being demonstrative in your worship and you have not engaged the mind, then you're moving in a direction that is not biblical worship. Look at the songs. Read the lyrics. Contemplate them. Engage the word and receive it into your mind and dwell with it in your heart. Meditate on it. And from the depth of your understanding and knowledge which is given to you by the Holy Spirit, worship him. Otherwise, you might have a, a static kind of movement and a declaration of song, some melodic phrasing or some goosebump experience and not really engage God in worship. Long before it's demonstrative, it's intellectual. It's an attitude of the heart before it is an expression of the mouth. And if those words that we're singing collectively as a congregation do not move our heart, and engage our heart and by the word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit help us to identify the things that are not of God and help us to acknowledge the things that are of God and then express our worship to him, him in that then we are astray 
But oh, my friends, that our attitude of heart would be of Christ and then the expression of that would be unto him. Worship is a response to the eternal creator, the sustaining God who demonstrates immense redeeming love and is preeminent and sovereign over all. Here's a William Temple's description of worship that I want you to cling to. Worship is the submission of our entire nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience of by his holiness, the nourishment of mind by his truth or with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose. I'm going to post that later on so you can grab the quote because uh, some of you are wanting to feverishly write that down. I'll give it to you later. I think Temple is on to something there. Now, I haven't spoken much about worship that takes place in this room in a demonstrative way. I haven't talked about singing congregationally. I haven't talked about postures of praying or worshiping or whether we're raising our hands or not. Don't get me wrong. Worship includes the gathering of the saints together and the instruction of God's word and the biblical songs that we would sing, glorifying and praising him. However, we've got to dig into the Bible to find what is God-centered, God-exalting, Christ-centric, and Holy Spirit-directed. So if the worshiper's thoughts and hearts are not right, then the expressions of worship are always going to be wrong. So we've got to dive into this because God is looking into our heart more than he's listening to our voices. And God is more insightful to our pondering than our raised hands. And God is concerning himself more with our attitudes and our surrender than our service we may render. We need to dial into this. God, what are you revealing to us in your word by your spirit that we need to receive and then exercise? I can't help but remember that God showed his displeasure with the people in Jerusalem when they were supposed worshipers of him. He says through the prophet Isaiah, these people draw near to me with their mouths and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. He went on to explain that their worship was actually based on a bunch of rules by man, not by him. He challenged them in that. So God was not in their worship because God was not in them. It's so important that we get this right. Now I'm running out of time. I don't want to encroach too far into the life group hour, nor you getting coffee uh, between the two. Let me just summarize in the close. God gives us three words, three words to describe worship. It's the most common way for us to read about worship, these three words in the Greek that are translated for worship. And the first means to prostrate oneself. It means to kneel, to bow, or to go flat, to lie prostrate. That's worship. Boy, there's no more homage to God than that. It is what Matthew described when the wise men appear before Jesus, they prostrated themselves. They bowed before him. They worshiped. 
Now, when we read words like that, we just kind of skip along because we're just reading the word worship. We don't have the visual that goes along with it like the Koine Greek language has. But we need to stop and say, Lord, 59 times you mentioned that word in the New Testament. I need to engage you in that way. I'm embarrassed to tell you I didn't prostrate myself Lord any this week. Oh, I prayed to him. My head was bowed to him. My eyes were closed to him. My hands were raised to him. There was conversation going on regularly and there was intentional time separated under praying. But there's something about us getting down on the ground Laying out, recognizing God, you alone are supreme. And I come before you with a humble attitude. You know what God will do every time? At the conclusion of that time in worship, he'll lift you up. For the one who humbles himself, God will exalt. That's an important aspect of worship. An attitude and even a physical response to kneel, to bow, to prostrate oneself before the Lord in worship. Another word used nearly a couple of dozen times describes worship and service to God. There was a woman named Anna who was in the temple waiting for the Messiah to show. And the scripture says that she was there in worship unto him, also could be translated service unto him. And so there is an expression of worship where our lives are just given to the Lord, where we just serve him, worship him in that way. And then there's another word, sabomai, which is often translated in the negative. It means um, to be revering and devoted to the Lord, but mostly it's spoken in the negative about people who are religiously devout, but not really given to the Lord in fact, Jesus used the word as one of warning, saying, this people, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so he strongly says, sometimes worship is not unto me. It's in vain. So that draws me to conclusion for me personally and for us collectively as a church as we begin this series on worship. Are we worshipers? Now you cannot be a worshiper if you have not surrendered your heart to Jesus. You cannot be a worshiper just trying to get your life in order to get it better, to put some things off, put some things on. You cannot be a worshiper of God. You need a new heart. You need a new life. Have you died to the old self and been made new in Jesus? Trusting in him, coming to life in him, where he removes your sin by nailing it to the cross on his body and then giving to you the credit of his own righteousness and declaring you holy before the Lord, thereby making you a candidate for worship. Are you a worshiper? It begins in first bowing before him in your life. Lord, you alone do I come for mercy. You alone do I ask 
for forgiveness of sins. To you alone I ask for righteousness. To you, Lord, I surrender my life. Are you a worshiper? Then come to Jesus if you want to be a worshiper and be transformed by him. And if you haven't bowed and humbled yourself in adoration of the Lord lately, would you consider making it part of your practice in worship? An attitude of heart, mind, and even physically making it part of the attitude of your worship and the expression of your worship? And in light of who God is, would you worship him, revering him, and devote your heart to him, yielding your service to him, paying homage through your life and through the demonstrative ways by living, laying your life down as a living sacrifice unto him, and maybe even physically doing that. And if so, worship the Lord. Worship the Lord, your creator and sustainer, your redeemer, and the one who is the Lord. Worship him. So, Lord, what a joy it is to be your worshipers. Because when we are Lord, we recognize the magnitude of you who we worship, for who you are and all that you have done to rescue us, to bring us to new life. Oh, Lord, find us given to worship. Find us less clamoring in the world for the world's stuff and more seeking a heart and mind that engages in genuine, glorious worship. Lord, is it good for you? Yes, but it is good for us as well. I ask, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts a deep desire to know and worship you. In Jesus' name.